Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup-to-nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of On the Side with yours truly, Jackie London. I am so excited about today's episode. I feel like you guys are going to lose your actual minds in the best possible way. So today's guest, I have to say, after talking to today's guest, I can't take too much time with this intro, so I won't. Today's guest is Cassie Holmes. She is a professor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management, where she's an award-winning teacher and researcher. And she has done a tremendous amount of work and research on the intersection of time and happiness. And it's been published widely across a number of academic journals. She's also been featured in outlets like NPR, The Times, The Journal, all the big ones. You know what I mean? The Atlantic, The Washington Post. Happier Hour is the name of her first book. It's coming out next week, September 6th. And I'm thrilled to have that happen because I just read the galley copy and it's honestly, it really is so incredible. I just think it's really kind of a a challenging thing to be both credible and relatable. And I found my interview with her to be both of those things and also the book to be both of those things. It's just really practical advice, but also gives you the theory and the reality, like how to use all of that in practice. So she gives us a kind of sneak peek of all of that in this interview today. I think you're going to love it. The book is called Happier Hour, How to Beat Distraction, Expand Your Time, and Focus on What Matters Most. So honestly, if you know me and you're listening to this, you're like, you are the worst person with time. So I feel like I've read this book. Now I've I've talked to the author. I have no excuse. It's time for me to be better about my own time management. Anyway, that's an aside. I said I wasn't going to take too long and here I go. I'm just talking. Okay, let's get to the interview. As always, if you need anything from me, if you have questions, if you have guest ideas, if you have sponsorship opportunities that you would like to share with me, please reach out to me. Probably the best place to do that is always going to be Instagram direct message. So my handle, just to remind you all listening right now, is at Jacqueline London, R-D, J-A-C-L-Y-N-L-O-N-D-O-N-R-D. And you can find me there. And if you need any more than that, then you can always check out my website, JacquelineLondonRD.com. But feel free to let me know what you think by leaving a rating and a review of this episode. I think you're going to love it. I think you will find it is truly time well spent. Enjoy. But first, let's get to a quick listener question. Okay, my friend. So today's question is what foods are beneficial for 
cognition and decreasing risk of Alzheimer's disease? This question I just made up, and that's in full transparency because (laughs) I'm catching up on the news and just saw this little controversy, little, huge controversy, an article published in Science Magazine about this kind of potentially fraudulent use of images and image recreation in a huge and kind of landmark study in Alzheimer's research. I would highly recommend just doing a light Google News search if you're curious or interested in this kind of scandal. I just am always shocked and and not shocked at the same time when something like this um, comes to light. I think there's a lot more that we could discuss there. But for the purpose of staying on track and talking nutrition, let me cover a couple of the basics of what it means to eat in a way that supports decreasing risk of cognitive decline, dementia, and potentially Alzheimer's disease. So the overarching component, the overarching theme about all of the the actually relatively validated research that we have that does show a link between certain variables and increased risk of Alzheimer's disease is inflammation and the formation of plaque within your blood vessels, right? So that means that if you have plaque in your blood vessels, all roads lead back to our own, our body's own cardiovascular system, right? So a healthy heart is basically like the key to healthier everything. The more oxygenation and that your tissues receive by way of free-flowing blood throughout your body, that cannot even be understated when it comes to risk of chronic disease. Now, obviously, I'm not speaking about very specific types of, you know, certain types of cancer, autoimmune disease, although the dietary components do overlap. But what I'm really talking about is when it comes to decreasing risk of chronic disease, the single most beneficial diet according to research, the most beneficial style in which to eat is to eat a Mediterranean-inspired diet. What do I mean when I say Mediterranean-inspired? Basically, everything that you have heard on this podcast so far in terms of things I'm recommending, it all falls within the Mediterranean diet. The general components of a Mediterranean style of eating are choosing more 100% whole grains, including an abundance of different types of veggies and fruit. It also means low-fat dairy in a sort of moderate consumption type of way, as in you're not like binging on, you know, the cheddar cheese, like shreds that that are going on everything. They're not going on all 100% of your meals. It means they're, you're having them at some meals, right? It also means a diet that is lower in red and processed meat. Processed meat does, unfortunately, I hate to inform you, include many types of deli meat also. And it also really means choosing poultry sometimes, but really focusing on including more plant sources of protein as well as seafood, all types of seafood, right? So instead of, let's say you're used to having chicken five nights a week, maybe you're having chicken three nights a week, you've got one night of of like a lean cut of beef, and then you've got an extra, you know, two days to play with where you're having seafood for dinner, different types of seafood. So that's really critical. The other really critical component is including plant-derived fats. So what do I mean by that? It means more unsaturated fats coming in the form of oils, nuts, seeds, and avocado. And it certainly includes lots of legumes, 
beans, lentils, chickpeas, peas, those pulse crops that are so nutritious, that have that plant source of protein, but that also provide fiber and provide antioxidants and key minerals. The other component that is unique to the area of research around dementia and and cognition is caffeine, which I think is kind of an underrated point that doesn't really get drilled down uh, home enough, drilled home, drilled, I don't know. It doesn't really get talked about enough is what I'm really trying to say. One cup of coffee, let's just say regular strength, your standard cup of coffee can be anywhere between 75 milligrams and 100 milligrams of caffeine. Having coffee, including coffee in your day, and certainly on the earlier side, if you're waking up and you're wanting to have a cup of coffee, that is most definitely more specifically linked to improved cognitive decline, both in the short term and in the long term, meaning that it can have a a sort of protective benefit around brain function. So it's not just about that like jolt, that wake up jolt. It's also something that can be preventative. The other thing to know about things that are caffeine containing by nature um, is coffee and tea are plants, right? Like they come from plants. So these also provide a source of antioxidants in our diets. In fact, there was a time that coffee was like the number one source of antioxidants in the American diet. So I think that's pretty significant. It also gives a nice little soothing feeling to so many of us who love caffeine. I would also say that the key to consuming coffee and tea in a way that fits within an overall anti-inflammatory diet, an overall Mediterranean pattern of eating, is to consume it in a way that's unsweetened. So as long as there's not like tons of shit, like syrups and whipped creams and blends and all this other kind of stuff that goes into coffees now and like the seasonal flavor and the pumpkin spice and all of that, then you're most likely going to be in great shape. So like the unsweetened coffee and tea, add, you can add milk if you want to. I would say go Mediterranean with that. Maybe you make it a low fat milk. Maybe it's an unsweetened plant-based milk, like an unsweetened soy, which is um, comparable in protein to uh, cow milk. And the other thing that I would say that is also linked to decreasing risk of cognitive decline, and this one has been, you know, the way that I hear this talked about is often really makes it sound more controversial than it is. It's alcohol in moderation. What does moderation mean? There's actually, in this case, you know, Uh, more of a a clearly defined path to that. It's usually defined as one glass a day for women and two glasses of wine a day for men. And what I would say is that if you feel like you're drinking too much alcohol, then find what moderation really means for you and, and kind of use that as your guidepost, right? So finding what moderation really means for you. But again, these are gonna be yet another example of things that in their simplest and most kind of like unadulterated form, right? Like wine versus a Long Island Island iced tea. That makes a huge difference in this particular area, but also when it comes to building a more Mediterranean pattern for yourself is to think about, you know, food in its more simple, as close to nature form as possible. So you're using your plant-based oils, you're having seafood more often and replacing those red and processed meats. You're having wine, beer, spirits with, you know, maybe some club soda with your dinner and you're having that, you know, like as part of the meal and as a way of relaxing with family and friends and connecting. You're also including tons. I mean, just more is more with veggies and fruit, more veggies, more fruit, more often. And you're including other lean sources of protein throughout your day. And you're choosing mostly 100% whole grains, nuts, seeds, 
beans, legumes, all the good pulses. And that is what really compromises a Mediterranean style of eating. The last thing that I will say on this, because this is a long question today, even though it's one I made up on my own, is that I really have to drill down on the fact that if you look at Mediterranean countries around the world, no one is cutting out sugar. That's just not happening. It's not happening today, and it wasn't happening at the time that the original seven countries research was done. Really, when it comes to a Mediterranean pattern of eating, it's being choosy. It's being intentional about where you're consuming that sugar from. So are you having dessert? Probably, right? There you are on the Amalfi Coast, enjoying your fabulous, I don't know, orange cake or or some such deliciousness, right? But it's really about being intentional about where that sugar comes from and not letting it come from lots of different types of foods that you didn't know you were consuming in the first place. All right. So I hope that gives a little picture of what it looks like to eat in a more Mediterranean style, in a more Mediterranean way. The last, the really, last thing I'm going to say is that it is also about the connection that you have to the food that you eat and to the people with whom you share meals. So just something to think about. Let's get to our episode. Welcome to On The Side. We've already talked wall color. We've already talked handles, brassware. I mean, (laughs) but now we really have to talk time. And as I said to you before we started recording, my biggest question for you is, is this. This is not quite in the book, which is a masterpiece, by the way, a true masterpiece. And I, I can't wait to talk all about it, but it's not quite the, it's touched on, it's not quite there. I am a chronic procrastinator, but only for things that I, this maybe is like psychologically weird. I I, like only for things that I truly enjoy. So like, if I know that I want to do a great job on something, I sometimes will have to say, (laughs) I got to push it back because I need a debt. Like the deadline really is so meaningful to me. Like once I know that something is upon me, I'm all in on that thing. Like, I I feel like I need that kind of like last minute push to do my best work. Is there something wrong with me? Or (laughs) there is nothing wrong with you. Um, (laughs) And I love, I love when folks ask these like questions about their own sort of grappling with time. So it's it's not, you are not alone. Many people procrastinate and some people, I am actually I get stressed out if I've procrastinated, but for procrastinators like yourself, it's actually a really useful tool because it does focus your energy. So, so often we are distracted and thinking about all of the millions of different things that we can and should be doing at any moment. As your deadline approaches, it really focuses you in on that particular task or activity. And so that's what you're using it for. You're like, this is going to be my, you know, distraction minimizing technique because you have no other choice because it's right. due. Right. Um, and so there, I will say that there are ways to, you know, become more focused before <laughs> yes. the stress of the How? deadline is upon you. By carving out your time, like <laughs> even though I don't use like, the deadline that is right. actually the ice, I always push up my deadlines earlier, but I carve out my time for the important sort of joyful, important work or, you know, that yes. I'm like, okay, this is this day and I protect it, yeah. even though it's well beyond or like not always well ahead of the deadline, but it is ahead of the deadline. It's like this 
is something that I so want to invest in and I don't want to be distracted. And so putting it in this sort of special place in your calendar, closing out. So I talk uh, in Happier Hour about how distraction can really sort of keep us from getting into these wonderful flow states, right? That state where you are just fully immersed and that's where you do your best work. You're like super creative, you're super engaged. And so it does require removing distractions. For me, it's like closing the door so that when I'm working from home, my family knows that I'm not available at the office. It's my colleagues know I'm not available. Closing out of emails So that I'm not sort of like tempted to (laughs) sort of peek over. And and there's also productive procrastination where it's like, oh, this is something that I should do. This is my, this is my best skill set. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you you feel really productive while you're procrastinating, but you're not getting the important thing actually done. (laughs) We have, we we need more time on this because (laughs) I'm laughing because I just remember reading this book from someone who is not, it's not a scientist, but it was someone who was sort of like a social commentator and was making the, the name that he coined for this was, the noble obstacle. And I, I am, I feel like I am the queen of the land of noble obstacles. Like I, I will not make that dentist appointment, but then when it's like something that I've really got to get done, it's time to call the dentist and maybe talk to the lovely receptionist at my dentist's office for at least 10 minutes while we go over calendars. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, I I am the queen of this land because then you can tell yourself, look how much I did today, but you didn't do the thing that you said you were going to do. And that is where I just feel like, like, (laughs) yeah. And and it's the thing, it's not just the thing that you said you're going to do, but it's the thing that you really want to do. Like, that's actually really important. Right. Right. I mean, because what that thing that is really important, it does demand your energy and attention and focus. And that can be really daunting, but it's worth the time because that's where all the good stuff happens. Okay. We've got to talk about the good stuff, but before we do, I want to, I want to stay with this for one second. What, what about those moments? Cause I know you have the solution to this. What, what about those moments where the noble obstacle, let's call it, or the, the productive procrastination even. What about when that is also something that aligns with your values, right? So like, let's say you, it's a choice between you are doing something with your family or it's something professional that you need to get done, right? And you love both of those things. Because I really, like this was in the very beginning of your book and this really resonated with me when you were saying that like you were feeling so overwhelmed, but at the same time, you didn't really want to let anything go. I wonder if you yeah. would just like tell tell us about that scene first and then we can talk about like what about when it's, you know, things that are are really important to you and you love all the things. Everything. Yeah. yeah. The story that I opened the book with and it's it's one that was so sort of pivotal to me, but also is one that I think so many can relate to is this 
feeling of time poverty. And so the day or the night that I was uh, reflecting on and remembering so vividly um, was earlier in my career when I was a professor at Wharton. So we were living in Philly and I we had our like four month old, we had our first mm. baby and I was invited to give a talk. And I was like, I, you know, I should have said no, because I was still sort of officially on maternity leave, but I was like, yes, this is right. a great, you know, right. opportunity. Yeah. But it was this nutty day. It's like I'm waking <laughs> up so early. And then it's like not only the presentation, which, you know, demanded <laughs> was stressful right. in itself, but like these back to back meetings and then this like colleague dinner, networky dinner. And I was in a cab that in New York was you know, cab drivers are already driving too right. fast. And I yelled at him like, hurry up, you have to drive faster. I cannot miss the last train that will get me right. home to my baby and my husband. And I made the train, but I remember I was just sitting there and it was like, I was exhausted. And as I was watching this sort of darkness whiz by of like the right. houses where people are sleeping because it was late and everyone should be asleep like me and I should have right. been in my own bed. <laughs> and I was just like, it's going so fast. And I just don't know if I can keep up between, you know, the pressures at work, right? trying to be a good parent, trying to be a good partner, trying to be a good friend, trying to like, you know, keep a household from right. being like super gross. Like we have these chores. Right. And it was all so much. And I was like, I don't think I can do it at all. And I was like, maybe I can't. So like, maybe I quit my job and move to like a sunny island somewhere and relax. And right. if I had a whole lot more time, I would be happier. Right. right. <laughs> and I, before I didn't quit my job, I instead <laughs> tested. Spoiler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I tested and we, we analyzed this question. So I'm a sort of social psychologist. And so put a lot of these questions to data. And what we found, we were looking at what's the relationship between the amount of discretionary time people have and their happiness. And what we found was that, yes, having too little is unhappy and stressful. That's sort of what I was experiencing. But what was surprising is that having there was such thing as having too much. So yeah. in this data set, folks who had more than about five hours of discretionary time in a regular day were also unhappy. And the reason they were unhappy is because we don't like being idle. Like we right. don't- I hate you know, it. I day, hate it. <laughs> day in and day out, like sitting on that, like, you know, relaxed nope, island. Not for me. No Got to walk around that island a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it was helpful because what it highlights is that we want to spend our time in worthwhile ways. There is such thing as too much, like the, that sort of competing of like, can we do it all? And yeah. actually what happier hour led to, that was a genesis of like, mm. except at the very extremes, it's really not actually about how much time you have. It's really how you spend the time you have and being invested in it. And you can do it all. Like you can't spend endless hours on every one of these dimensions, yeah. but it's not about endless hours. It's about the quality of those hours. 
And it's not a question about whether, it's really a question about when. And so when you start thinking about your time not in like, what's the next hour and that sense of urgency, and you just are reacting to what's like right there in front of you or that maybe those easy, you know, productive procrastination tasks, it's really a question of when looking across your week, maybe even looking across your years of the, this is the time that I'm going to dial up and spend more time or invest more strongly on this particular dimension. But it doesn't mean you don't have any time for the others. And so the solution is actually spending in ways that are worthwhile. And this involves reflecting back, what are those worthwhile ways? And we can talk about that sort of identification process, but also carving out the time for those things. And when you're spending them, sort of like I said, Maybe you need a deadline to make it sort of feel pressing. Works for me, yes. <laughs> yes. You know, recognizing right. that our time isn't infinite, infinite yeah. right? It's actually quite finite and that can create a recognition that indeed, like whether it's deadlines, but it's actually, you know, this is our time, this is our life and we need to like, we get to carve out the time for things that are important and when we're spending it, sort of get the most out of it so that they have the biggest impact. You know, I, I am so curious. I, I just, I think it's such a fascinating, it's so well said, first of all. And second of all, I just think it's, I wonder if in 2022, some of the systems that we have currently in place, the data that's available to us is not up to date with how we currently live our lives. So good example of this would be like TikTok, (laughs) all forms of social media everywhere really, is that these are places like these little wormholes of time suck versus like what we were talking about before we even started recording, which is that sometimes certain things can be like, they can be both productive, but also really enjoyable, like really satisfying to you, like, you know, finding the right paint color for your office and and things like that, right? Like that there's ways to actually enjoy that time where you need to get certain things done. But I wonder if you can speak to that also, like the idea of the systems that we have in place, the way that we understand time presently, and then how that fits with like a social media world where, you know, then you tap one stupid app and you could be down a rabbit hole quickly and then totally. say, oh no, what happened to my time? <laughs> yeah. And that's a really important and good question because it is so relevant and so <laughs> pervasive, right. I will say, yeah. because the answer for like how to invest our time better is really sort of identifying and prioritizing the stuff that's worthwhile and minimizing mm. the waste. Yeah. The reason I bring that up in this context is because of social media. And so it is important for each individual to identify what it, for them what for you is your worthwhile and wasteful ways to spend. One of the exercises that I talk about in Happier Hour is this identification process. So it's sort of tracking how you spend your time over the course of one to two weeks. I say two weeks just because it's a more sort of complete capturing of the activities that fill your time. But what you're doing is basically... For each sort of half hour increment, you're writing down what you're doing pretty specifically. So it's not just work. It's like the type of work because, you know, 
different parts of our work is yeah. more worthwhile, whereas right. others is actually wasteful. But in addition to writing down what you're doing, you're also rating on a 10-point scale how happy doesn't make you. And it's not just sort of like, oh, it's like fun and pleasurable. It's like how satisfying, how worthwhile, how fulfilling, how energizing, you know, or how relaxing. Right. It's like this overall sort of positivity of the activity because what that allows you to do is at the end of the week, you have this like wonderful data set for yourself, personalized data set, and you can look across okay, what are those activities that got my highest ratings? And not just the particular activities, but what are some sort of commonalities across those activities, which can be really illuminating. And you're like, okay, those are those like worthwhile sort of pieces. That's where I want to prioritize in my sort of coming weeks. Also, you can see the activities that are the least positive, and we can talk about that, but also it gives you, you can calculate just how much time you're spending across your various activities. Social media is one of these that people spend so much more time than they think they do. And it's yes. because you're just like, it will just be a really quick check. But those like minutes here turn into way more minutes than you expected. But also those minutes add up like, among my, I have my students. So I teach yeah. a course at uh, UCLA among our MBAs and executive MBAs. And I give them these assignments. So it's applying the science of happiness to life design. And this is the time tracking is one of the assignments I give them. And my students, so I remember one student in particular, she is busy, dude. Yeah. Like she is getting her degree while working full-time, while having a family. You ask her and she's like, I'm so busy. I don't have time to do anything. Yeah, right. looking at her time tracking data, she saw that she spent 12 hours that week on social media. And she's like... And it's not even actually Conscious. representative of how much time, because there's all the like even littler times that I'm spending that isn't getting captured in here. Right. And what's also interesting, not only the amount of time she's spending, but her ratings, like how happy was she spending that time? It's like a four on a right. 10 point scale. Right. Meanwhile, like the activities that get her happiest, like meeting up with her sister for dinner after work, that is like happy. That's like 9.5, if not right. 10, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's time that she's like, oh, I'm so busy. I don't have time to meet up with my sister for dinner. I relate to this But so there's deeply. like, you know, these the dozen <laughs> yeah. hours right. spent on social media. And so I'll just say it's not <laughs> me giving a value judgment yeah. of um, the role of social media, but just given that our right. time is limited, the, you know, hours in our days, days of our weeks. And so it's a question, particularly for all of us who feel so busy by freeing up that time, you mm. can spend it in more worthwhile ways. And also there is a lot of research that looks at what is the effect of social media, not only just from a time usage or time sucking perspective, but what's the effect of it on our emotional well-being? And what the research points to is that when we are sort of passively engaging in social media, that is looking at other people's lives yeah, <laughs> as right. opposed to like actually, you know, actively engaging with social media for connection of like right. 
it's keeping in touch with those relationships that are already existing in your life. And it's just a way to sort of be closer and more connected with them. The passive usage of social media is associated with lower self-esteem and lower mood and Mm. people are less happier. Um, It makes people feel more lonely um, and it makes people feel worse about themselves because what is happening is you are constantly, you know, part of the inputs into our assessment of how we're doing, like Mm. how happy am I? How well am I, you know, like how good is life? Yeah. It's like one way to assess that is by comparing, well, how am I doing compared to other people? But if you have this sort of constant, totally not representative constant reflection of other people's smiley existence, like A, you're, they're only posting their happiest moments right? and you're looking at it because you're like on your couch or waiting in line somewhere. So you're not in your happiest moment when you're looking and you're like, oh my God, mm. look at the happiness. Right. <laughs> that is such a good point. Right. And so it has that really sort of negative effects, but yeah, to the extent that if you're doing your time tracking and you're like, actually, Maybe that first 10 minutes is really fun. I get to do this, but that's also useful because it's like, okay, the first 10 minutes was fun, but all the rest is a waste. That can help you be really deliberate. It's like, okay, I'm going to have my like 10 minutes of, I know you talk a lot about food. Like think of it as like a sort of treat. Like you have your cookie day. Right. It's your dessert. (laughs) Exactly. But it's like your dessert right, is right. like 10 minutes, not yeah, not the it, whole like, day. Then it's not yeah. a treat because yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, it's a really good analogy, honestly, because it just it's it's to your point about this concept of having it all and what does that really mean? It's it means you can have everything, but you can't necessarily have it all at once, have it all at the same time, have as much time dedicated to one thing versus something else. So it's really, it's really the priorities that I think become the more challenging part for so many people who are curious about refining that skill. And certainly with social media, I, I've found that part like on a, on a personal level for me, switching gears in in my career from using social media as a personal kind of outlet and like a little bit professional, but it was more of that blurred line. I'm sure you're experiencing something similar where you're like, yeah, okay, now I got to tell everyone about this book, right? And then it becomes like this, it's like this tricky relationship with it, right? But then that starts to feel like it's part of your job. So like the the idea of that being like the release becomes a little bit more confused. And then on the flip side, it's like now that I work for myself, it's become like I must be active on these platforms all the time. But that in and of itself is sometimes also hard to explain to people around you, right? Because you can do yeah. it anywhere and it really comes from a phone and not from the computer for the most part, like the depending yeah. on what you're using. Yeah. But that it's a sort of confused relationship that makes it more nebulous to to determine how to use these things and then to what extent that affects your happiness level, right? Totally. Yeah. And those are all really important. And so that's why another thing to help you identify what is worthwhile right. versus wasteful is understanding what's the purpose of it. Yes. And so you know, like for many people, social media is like this sort of, they think of it, even though their ratings right. don't suggest so, is that it's like, oh, this sort of pleasurable fun thing. Right. That's one thing. But if you're using it in the sort of service of you getting your message out and the work right. that you do, 
that's a very different relationship that becomes yeah. more worthwhile. And so one of the other exercises that I um, talk about in the book, and this is sort of not about social media per se, but this is about helping you identify in your pursuits, whether it's in the workplace or otherwise, what is your purpose? Sort of what's yeah. your ultimate goal? Yeah. And the exercise that I describe is the five wise exercise. Yes. Oh, and, I was just going to ask you about that. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. And so what you do is you sort of ask yourself, okay, like, what do I do? Like, what is my work? Right. <laughs> and yeah. then you ask yourself, well, why do I do that? And then ask yourself to that, the answer of that question, well, why is that important? And once you get into these sort of the fifth layer down of asking mm. your why, that really reveals what ultimately is driving you. Mm. And it's really helpful because it allows you to identify what are these tasks that even if they themselves aren't that fun, like even if the time you spend doing social media might not get a high rating on like how you're feeling, but you're like, once you recognize, oh, it's actually helps me get the message out of helping people make decisions about how to be healthy or feel good in their bodies, then you're like, okay, this is worthwhile. Um, To make this a little more concrete, Mm. I can use myself as an example here. So what do I do? Mm. Like Mm -hmm. I am a business school professor. Mm -hmm. And what is that work? Well, it's to do research, it's to teach, and it may have like service work. Why do I do that? Well, it's the research is to create knowledge. The teaching is to disseminate knowledge. And then it's like, well, why is that important? You know, like, and this isn't why does anyone think it's important? Why do I think it's important? (laughs) Right. And it's like, okay, well, why is that important? Like, well, I want to make people smarter. And then I was like, well, why is that important? Well, I'm like, I don't, yes, I want people to be smarter in general, but really what I care about is them to be smart about their happiness. Right. And so then it's like, well, why, why that? Like, why am I doing that? And it helped me to identify very clearly for myself, my goal (laughs) in my work is to create knowledge about what makes people happy, to disseminate knowledge about what makes people happy, and hopefully to make the people around me and my organization happy. And that is really illuminating because then I'm like, all of these like potential ways that I could be spending my time, I'm like, oh, is it in the service of creating knowledge about what makes people happy? If no, then I don't take on that project. Is it about disseminating knowledge about what makes people happy? If it's like, no, then I don't take Mm. that on. And that is helpful to like that filter is really helpful of like, what are ways that are worthwhile versus those ways that are more of a waste? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good one. Okay, wait, let's recap it for a second. (laughs) So the first why... So like with the five whys, the ultimate purpose is sort of like continuing to refine what ultimately is the thing that's making you the happiest about your work. But in doing that, like in your exercise of doing that on for your work, what it did is it shifted from something really macro sounding to something really hyper-focused and specific, but in the best, like most useful kind of way. Does that... 
Does that yeah, sound Yeah, it makes it really much more concrete. Right. And so this is really helpful because so often like using, you know, my students, yeah. my MBA students as an example, they're like, I want to be successful. Like my, right. my goal right. is to be successful. It's like, right. well, what does success, right. what does success that means? That means so mean? many different things, right? It's right? like when people say to me, I, I want to be healthy, right? And it means yeah. like 8,000 different things, 100%. Yeah. Totally. And then you digging into that is like, okay, well, why do you want to be successful? Like in right. what dimension? Right. And then so your term refining sounds like it's it is it is a clarifying process, but it's yeah. almost like a digging yeah. down yes. and deeper process because it's like it's like what is the real reason? And this is also important because by clarifying for you what your purpose is, yeah. it helps you to not actually be like, oh, how am I doing compared to those around me? You're like, how am I doing compared to what I'm setting out to do? Right. And when you get a little win on, you know, like you complete a project that's in the service of that, it feels so good. You're like, oh my gosh. Or like right. you, if you hear from someone, it's like, I made this decision and I feel so much better about it. You feel awesome about it. You're like, yeah. yes, right. that's what I like set it out to do. And if I actually you see a disconnect, you're like, oh, like I didn't succeed on this particular task in doing that, then that's fine. Like it, right. it's, that's actually really motivating. You're like, oh, this is like, you have your goal that you're working on, not making you feel crummy. Cause you're like, well, I'm not compared to that person. I'm not accomplishing. So it's, it's really, it's highlighting what intrinsically motivates you, mm. which makes the work more fun. And it helps being much more concrete and figuring out what do you take on? Yeah. And while you're doing it, it helps you relabel it. So it like, not only does it help you figure out, do I say yes or no to this particular task or do I spend time on this task or not? But when you're spending time on those unfun tasks, you're like, it's worth it. Like It's, it's in service of the, my bigger goal. Yeah. What about taxes? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all have to do them. We all have to do it. It's not in the happier, happiest hours, but it might be, it might get a one. It's going to get a one. Yeah. But But you know what? There are, there are also strategies for those activities that are just unfun, but you have to do, then you can bundle. So bundling is this strategy where you take one of these unfun necessary activities and then you bundle it with something that is fun, both to motivate you to get through it, but also to make it more enjoyable. So, you know, like maybe while you're doing taxes to the extent that, you know, it's like gathering receipts and all that sort of stuff, Listen to a podcast. Right. Right. hundred percent. Hopefully then, this one. Or or perhaps your audiobook of Happier Hour. <laughs> yes. I agree. No, it's it's so true. I mean, I feel like bundling the bundling concept is one that I feel, <laughs> I feel like on a personal level, this has almost works too well for me. Like, so, because, because then it's like things that I never used to enjoy are, I'm like, how do I make an excuse to go do this so that I can finish this book that I'm listening or like something like that. I mean, there's, there's there's so many, I totally with you on this being such a useful tool, but I am just laughing at the idea. 
<laughs> that sometimes that can spin out of control a little bit. And then you're like, wait, I think this is where it comes back to why we all need happier hour because ultimately you need to set the time boundary. <laughs> That's what it is. But that's so fantastic. I can just imagine you loving cleaning your house because now you get to listen to these great podcasts on the side or audiobooks. Thank you. Because, of course, you want to know what's happening in that next chapter, right? Right. But it, it is helpful because, you know, like I talked earlier about this sort of time poverty or the sense that mm. we don't have enough time to do all that we want to do. And I have people finish this statement I don't yeah. have time to. And Mm -hmm. what people fill in shows that there's a lot of really wonderful, enriching, and really basic things that we feel like we don't have time to do. Oftentimes, one that comes up is like, I don't have time to read for pleasure. Mm -hmm. And that's a bummer, right? Because reading for pleasure, that expands our minds. It makes us more empathetic. But... If you're listening to audiobooks while doing, you know, whether right. it's your taxes, cleaning your house, right. or commuting for those who are driving in their car hours a day to get to and from work, or even driving to the grocery store, right. you know, like yeah. it makes that time so that actually you do have time to read slash listen right. to books for pleasure. And like, you know, every couple of weeks you get to start a new book and you get a new story. And so To the extent, again, it's about sort of minimizing the waste, which in some cases is about not spending time on those activities or spending less time on them. But sometimes it's minimizing the waste by making those times that you are spending, which used to feel Mm. like wasteful, actually feel really worthwhile and fun. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. I also love this phrase that you used in the book that is the time time waste because I feel like it really, it's the perfect picture. It's like, it's garbage day. (laughs) Who is going? Who is going into the garbage pot? Like what things, what are the unnecessary things happening here? I mean, I think that the book itself puts this perfectly, but when I was reading it, I just kept coming back to that first story because I think that so many more people than who that are listening, but that who may or may not have even recognized this yet is this justification for yourself that you and I have both done, which is that, but I like doing X so much, right? Like, and that it feels like there's no way the the sort of trapped feeling of like, okay, but then I'm bound to like live like this forever where I'm exhausted. I'm running. I'm like going at the, you know, they, they, that it gives us that reframe of like, uh, you, you can still have these things, but there have to be like ways that you're assessing how they're sort of allocated throughout the day. Yeah. And I think that the big difference is because we are, many people are so susceptible to like stuff that's coming in and like reacting and sort of as it's coming in, it's so much easier to say yes to something than it is to sort of decline. So the stuff comes in, but just because it feels urgent, it doesn't mean that it's important. Right. And the thing is, it's like at the end of the day, when you are exhausted, because you've done a lot, it's like, are you reflecting back and you're like, that was a good day. Like I feel full, Right. I feel fulfilled. Not just that my day was full and like, but did I actually do anything that felt like worthwhile? So it's not about actually being less busy. It's about having the 
things that you are spending your time on feel worthwhile so that, again, it's about your days feeling fulfilling and not just overly full. And I think a helpful analogy in sort of highlighting just how important it is to remove the waste yeah. <laughs> for that trash day yeah. of like of doing that cleaning, that sort of spring cleaning or right. trash day cleaning out is, and I talk about this in Happier Hour is the the time jar. <laughs> so right. I use it too as, I, as I'm deciding, deciding how to spend my time. And so in this analogy or in this parable, a professor comes into the classroom and it's it, sort of the first day of class and he puts on the desk this big clear plastic jar and then you know the students are watching him and like from a bag he pulls out a bunch of golf balls and pours the golf balls into the plastic jar so that they reach the very top and he asks the students is the jar full and they're like yeah and then he's like you know hold on a sec. And from the bag, he (laughs) brings out a bunch of pebbles and he pours those into the jar such that they reach the top and the pebbles sort of fill Mm. in around the golf balls. And he asks the students again, is the jar full? And the students are like, yes. Right. He's like, oh, just, you know, wait a second here. (laughs) And he like pulls from the bag uh, sand that he pours into the jar and the sand fills all those crevices between the golf balls, between the pebbles, and he fills it up. And he says to the students, this jar is the time that you have in your life. If I put the sand in first, actually all of those golf balls wouldn't fit, like all the golf balls that you put in. And the golf balls are the important things. The golf balls are those relationships, you know, is that purposeful work that you do. It's the stuff that's really important. The pebbles are the the sort of like other stuff that it is part of your life, maybe the taxes, you know, stuff that is, (laughs) is part of the life and that you do need to do. The sand is everything else. The sand is just all the stuff that is, you know, everything else. But if you let the sand fill your time first, then you don't have time for all the golf balls. You know, the sand is the social media. If right. if that's what's filling your time, then you don't have time for the golf balls. And then the demonstration is not over yet. He then pulls out from the bag two bottles of beer. Mm. He opens one. I was going to say there's got to be a liquid in here. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He pours one into the jar and then he takes the other, opens it, goes and sits on the front of the desk and like takes a sip. And then the, <laughs> one of the students is like, well, what's up with the beer? And he is like, no matter how full your jar is, no matter how busy you feel like you are, you always have time to have a beer with a friend. Yeah. And so that just highlights the importance right. of putting your golf balls in first. Yeah. First of all, it's like identifying what are those ways of spending time that are truly joyful for you. And like, whether it's from the time tracking exercise that you can identify, what are those activities that are the most happy? Or you can even reflect back over your last you know, week. What were those moments in the week where you felt the most joy? And through that, you can identify your golf balls. What are those activities, those ways of spending time that truly ultimately matter to you? Mm. And as you're figuring out, thinking about and being deliberate in how you're spending your time going forward, it is making the time 
for those golf balls, placing them into the calendar first. And then it's like, sure, the sand can fill around that, you Mm -hmm. know, social media, sure, if there are spaces, but what it can't do and shouldn't do, even some of maybe your productive procrastination tasks, some of those actually might be kind of sandy, you know, like, do they really need to happen? Yeah. But if you let those fill your time first, then like, there isn't time for the golf balls and the good stuff. So I think that it's a helpful analogy just to recognize how important it is to be intentional. And I know that's something that you talk a lot about being intentional. I talk about it with respect to time and just how important and helpful that is. I love that analogy so much. I really love that he also drinks, that he's like, well, this beer's for me. You guys can (laughs) find your own. (laughs) That's really the best part. I love that he did not, like very good boundaries. Love that he didn't take out a cooler and was like, class, here you go. Because you haven't earned it yet. You know what I mean? Like I... (laughs) I like that he was like, yeah, you always have time for a beer with a friend, but right now this is You're my not beer. My friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that so much. Let me ask you about this now. I want to talk about the eulogy in your class. Did I read that that's in the first class? The first no, day of class? I okay. do it towards the end of okay, the course. I was like, yeah. be like, okay, we're going straight into the deep end. Here we go. <laughs> No, we we even wade very slowly into the deep end. And even then, you know, it is quite impactful. I mean, even just reading that, maybe it's in your bio, it might be in something, it's inside somewhere. But when I read that, I was like, that's brilliant. Like, that is so brilliant. (laughs) Now I'm like, Am I going to do that? Should I do that? Like, I, that, like that's the big question. But tell, tell our listeners okay, what yes. it is, what the activity is, and, and how it comes to be. Yeah. So to give it a little context, like the book is called Happier Hour. So it is these decisions about how we spend the hours of our day. But really, those hours add up to our days, our years, our decades, and our entire life. And so it's really a you know, how do we spend the time of our lives so Mm. that we look and can reflect back on it with great happiness, fulfillment without regret. Yeah. And I have two exercises in the book that I encourage people to take this broader perspective of thinking about their life overall. One is, which I also love, is like, interviewing someone who has lived a really Mm. great life, you know, as we're deciding what decisions do we make now to live a great life, we have a lot to learn from asking someone who's done it to Mm -hmm. reflect back, you know, what were their greatest sources of pride? What were their greatest sources of regret? That's really helpful. Another thing is for you to sort of project forward and look back at your own life and think about like, what is it? What life do I want to lead? It reveals what's important to you. So the exercise and it saying even the word exercise makes it sounds way lighter than this <laughs> experience is. It is very impactful. So what I have my students do is write their own eulogy. So yeah. assuming that they live till they're 90, so a yeah. uh, long life, what do they want someone to say about them? about their life. yeah. And so I have my students write their own eulogy and then as if that's not intense enough, I have them during class within smaller groups have 
another sort of group member read the eulogy aloud. Mm. And what that allows you to do is even hear someone else sort of reflecting on the life that you sort of want to lead. Now, I have had students that are like, this is too much. This is making, I'm like really scared of death. Don't make me do this. And I point out, this is actually not an exercise about death. It's absolutely about your life. What life do you want to live? And what happens is when looking at what they write, they see what's important to them. They see their values. Oftentimes it's like, you know, even if you don't want to write out your whole eulogy, what are the three words you want people to say about you when you've passed on? Mm. Those three words are what matter to you. Those are your values. And to the extent, yes, you want them to say that about your life, but what these students write in their eulogies that is like who they already are, right? Right. And it's just the they're like the parts of themselves that they care most about. And so the exercise is such that it helps inform how do we spend our hours today that will sum up to the life that we want to lead. Oh. I love that. I just love that. But you know what else is crazy about that is that as you're saying it, it it occurred to me that in the way that we have each had experience with the idea of like a certain word meaning maybe different things like success or happiness or or health, right? Like is that in a certain way, like that is also defining for someone what their definition of success might look like. So So even if you're starting the class with like, how do you want to live? And everyone is like, I want to be successful. That that actually they kind of are going hand in hand or am I not getting that right? No, totally. Because <laughs> as you are going to be writing your eulogy, it is your definition of success. Right. This is a life that you ultimately want to like, right. look, the legacy that you want to lead. Yeah. And so you don't have to even think about the word success, which right. has like, who knows what that right. is. What you're thinking is like, what life do I want to live? Yeah. And even for you, like so health, say, right. but actually as you describe the life that right. you're living, then that even clarifies what 100%. health means. For you. Right. So it is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm definitely writing that. <laughs> I'm just going to try it out. Even if it's just a couple words, because already a couple words, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, it's just interesting. Yeah. Like it really is such a clarifying and digging because I think those are both, they're kind of different, but they're also so, like, I think those are great descriptions. I also am wondering if you have any that stand out in the time that you've been teaching the class? Like, are there a few that like have stuck with you and you're like, oh my God, that one, two years ago, I love it. It's like, I get the chills when I think about it. Like, are there any like that or are they like- Yeah, I mean, yeah. they all, I, all, I have to yeah. say they are all like that and Powerful. I'm reading these right. and I am like, oh my God. The, the thing that's really, I think impactful is like, I'm reading them describe the life that they want to live. And I'm like, dude, you are that person. Sure, some yeah. of the life events haven't happened yet, 
but you are describing you. I'm like, you are already like living out this wonderful. And one of my students, she came up after and she's like, that was the most empowering exercise. Meanwhile, another student was like, I can't believe you made me feel that. (laughs) Another student's like in the corner, like rocking back and forth. And you're like, no, it's okay. Tommy, come out. You can go. (laughs) Yeah. But in the book, I actually share a couple of the examples that really stood out to me. And I remembered them so vividly. And it's, I guess, Read the book and yes. you'll, you'll see some really clever ones. And, it, and when I was actually sort of pulling, I was like looking, thinking back to examples that I could share in the book when I was talking about this exercise. And it was right. so easy for me too, because I remember I'm like, and it also, I, I got all excited. I was like, oh my gosh. And I reached out to the students. I'm like, do you remember this assignment? And they read the back, you know, it was like a right. couple of years later. And I think even reading back was impactful for those students. They're like, yep, there we go. And then one of like one of the students was like, oh, I haven't written that book that I said I was going to read. I better get on that. But oh, okay. First of all, yes, everyone listening should a thousand percent read the book and maybe (laughs) do this also, but maybe just read the book first and then we can talk about that later. But this is kind of like switching gears, but I just want to make sure we cover this before I know I will have to let you go soon, sadly, because I have so many questions to ask you and yet so little time. (laughs) But are there any tools, tips, little nuggets of information about how to kind of say yes to the right things. Even when you're in the moment, you're feeling kind of like you're just having a down day and you're like, I don't know. It's easier to say yes. Like you mentioned before, it's Mm going to be easier if I just say yes to this thing, even though I don't really want to do it. How do we negotiate those realities of everyday life? Even though we know that we, it might not align completely with the ways that we know we want to live, but that sometimes, right? Like, I mean, like, how do yeah. we kind of negotiate that? Well, I think honestly, um, keeping the, the time jar analogy in your head, yeah, so that you image. are remembering just how, like, right. yeah, it seems like easy that it's an hour to say yes to, but when you actually are like, oh, that hour means that I can't spend it in something that's really worthwhile to right. me it's costly and recognizing just how costly it is. Something that we haven't talked about, which Mm. is really important and it's about the day-to-day is that there is joy in the day-to-day in these simple pleasures. And it is not about amount of time spent. It's really about paying attention and getting the happiness that's sort of right there in front of you. So like when you reflect back on your moment of joy, Oftentimes, these are these really sort of mundane experiences yeah. that are the research points to, as well as I see time and time again when people sort of share what they reflect on. Those moments tend to be those that are about sharing or connecting with someone you care about. Mm. Um, it's about people. It's about the people that are are in our lives, not the, you know, like yeah. lives that we're watching on, you know, our right. many screens. And often we take them for granted because they're so everyday, these moments or these relationships or our interactions with these folks is because they happen every day, we expect they will continue to happen every day. And we take them for granted and we are distracted and we might not take the time to spend because, you know, we're quote unquote so busy 
But there's a, this other exercise that is helpful just to really sort of drive this home is the counting times left exercise. And so like reflecting on, you know, past week, what brought you joy mm. and count how many times have you done that in your life already? Yeah. And count how many times will you do it again in your life going forward? So my example that I share in the book, and that is like continues to be such a source of joy is my sort of weekly coffee date with my daughter. And she's seven. So yeah. she drinks hot chocolate. I drink coffee. <laughs> she <laughs> calls know. it the hot chocolate date. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in, this is something that is like so routine. Like mm. it is actually about me getting my caffeine but it's so routine and routine is something that we don't pay attention to, but we shift, turned it into a ritual. What is a ritual is something that you absolutely, it has meaning. You pay a yeah. lot of attention. And I counted how many times I've done, had coffee, I've gone on a coffee date with my daughter in the past. And it was like around 400. And then I counted in the future, how many coffee dates will I have? And I recognize, even though she's seven, when she's 12, she'd rather go to the coffee shop with the friends than me, then she's going to go off to college and then she's going to, you know, live in New York instead of in California near me. <laughs> and I calculate, I'm like, mm. oh my gosh, like we have like about 200 ish, you know, coffee dates in the future. And so even though she's only 70, my math maybe, <laughs> like, right. um, right. even though she's only seven, I only have 30% of our coffee dates together left. What does that make me do well it makes me make the time i carve out yeah. those thursday mornings i schedule meetings around it i say no to those requests that are coming in because no that is my time with my daughter to connect and when i'm spending it i am you know not distracted and it's like i anticipate it yeah. So, and I remember it. So just that 30 minutes has such a bigger impact than on like my overall week and even on my satisfaction overall, right? It's yeah. like, because I feel that wonderful relationship and the strength of it, then I'm more satisfied. So in terms of the, like, mm. can you do it all? Yes. It's like, I actually, I, even though I'm not picking her up, you know, at three o'clock every day from school because I work, right. I, that doesn't mean that I don't have a really strong relationship and close relationship with my daughter. So it's like, I can have it all. It's not about how much time you spend. It's really how you spend that time that gives you that sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. So I think that's sort of the crux of the book mm. is spending in ways that are worthwhile and spending in a way when you're spending those ways to get the most happiness and satisfaction from that time. I mean, everything about that is perfect. <laughs> Just <laughs> Everything about that is perfect. I have to ask you our last question, and maybe the answer to this will include a hot chocolate, interestingly. Okay. Let's imagine that you are leaving the earth for a temporary period. It's not your last meal, last meal, but it is a goodbye meal where you're going to go <laughs> to space, to the space station for like, you're going to teach the astronauts in the space station about <laughs> happiness and how they should be spending their time, which hopefully they're getting some stuff done for us up there. 
(laughs) What's on the menu? Who also would be at this meal, perhaps? I mean, it doesn't, we don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be like, exactly. We don't have to be exclusive. What's the the cocktail, the entree, the appetizer, the dessert, what's happening? What else is happening? Is there coffee? Is there hot chocolate? I think Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, having just relayed that, it's like, that's the mindset I'm in. I do love me some Manhattan, you know, in the evenings, but actually like my perfect meal that I'm like thinking of is exactly sitting outside on a sunny day. Totally with my daughter and I have my flat white, my fresh squeezed orange juice, my croissant with Nutella in the middle. Yes. And we don't get enough croissants with Nutella in the middle. I mean, (laughs) that is a great, great, a breakfast answer is a very, or just a snack. It's just, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt that, but I had to give it a shout out. Nutella should be in all meals. Nutella should be at every meal. (laughs) Also, Nutella, anyone listening who will in the future come on this podcast should know that we need more Nutella in this answer. (laughs) (laughs) Why aren't we talking about it enough? We need to talk about that more. Oh my God. Okay, anything else? Maybe a great wine? Maybe a Manhattan, you said, as a cocktail? Maybe that's later on. But that's like later in the day. Right. You know, this meal is a specific meal. My 100% cheeseburger and my glass of Pinot and then the Manhattan with the extra cherry for my customer. She's getting an extra cherry, folks. Same. (laughs) I'm totally there with you on that. It needs an extra garnish, 100%. Cassie, where can people find you and learn about the book and and follow everything that you're doing? Because it's really, it's so good. And I just think like you you bring both the relatability and the credibility to a topic that I feel like everyone feels like they kind of heard about, know a little bit, but no one knows. I mean, we don't know. We need your help. So where can we find you? <laughs> uh, well, thank you. So yes, happier hour. That's where you get um, in the book, all these sort of tips and tricks. And then I have to admit that I don't actually spend a lot of time on social media. So you can't really follow Good, me. But that's you can, great. That's even better. On, yes. yeah, on my website, www.cassiemholmes.com, there you can find out more about my research and where I am and where the book is and all that sort of good stuff. So amazing. Thank you you so much. Thank you for this. This was awesome. I'm so glad that we got to do this. This was such a treat. Like Nutella. Thanks so much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at JacquelineLondonRD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow On The Side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. 
This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.